Alright, a uh, few, few things. Let you be perfectly clear. All hail the chief was not for me. Get <laughs> you know, just over a year here, I'm going to start setting things straight, okay? No, no just, just joking. Uh, obviously, going off the whole, whole political theme, um, I don't know if you guys noticed recently, um, I was watching KY3 a couple months back and uh, the news and stuff, and then political ads started running. Like, hold on, time out, what's going on? Are we just, you know, just in case we want to run, we're just going to start showing political ads or, you know, something. Well, come to find out it was a special election, but you're just going, didn't we just end this? Then we just get over this, and then all of a sudden these guys are starting to smear each other again. Are we just, can I just start, you know, throwing ads on KY3 smearing Phil now? Can we, yes. can we just do that? Yes. And just, just in case I run for office, I just need to run a political ad. Someday I'll get there and we'll, we'll, we'll go at it. Uh, it. It sometimes feels like our political process never ends, does it? Just, it just continues and continues and continues and as soon as and, and the same thing with sports but but uh, we kind of made a sport out of politics but as soon as the election's over what are they talking about the next four-year cycle who's going to run who's going to do this who's going to do that what do the republicans need to do what do the democrats need to do and and you're going wait a minute i mean we haven't even counted the chads yet and you're talking about the next one Right? Some of what? Chad's? Who's Chad? Anyway, he's not here this morning. But um, so it it just seems like our political process just just never, never ends. And so when we were as a creative team taking a look at uh, the Sermon on the Mount series, we're just like, hey, what if, what if we're kind of doing a play on if Jesus was running for office? What if Jesus was running for office? And another thing, I know he didn't want to be king over (laughs) Jerusalem or over Israel in the way that the Pharisees and religious leaders wanted him to be king. I know that. Let's just have a little bit of fun here, okay? It is church. We can't do that. Uh, And 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 so, what if? What if we? uh, What if Jesus was running for political office? What if he was? What if he was? Because after all. He is king. He didn't get voted to that position. He came, he served, he died, he resurrected and ascended to affirm that position. And so if he is king, what's his platform? If he was running for office, what's his platform? Because every political person has a platform. And as David so you know, deflated our bubble this morning, just because they run on a platform doesn't mean they'll stand on it. In fact, Congress has a 6% approval rating right now. 6%, yeah, the 6% approval rating. Uh, according to Huffington Post, which you know, they may be generous, but anyway, uh, 6% approval rating. And I think probably one of the main reasons why for that is because of, you know, what we've been talking about this morning of all we see is a media-driven um, person. You know, their ads are like, I'm the greatest, you know, really kind of Jesus incarnate. And then um, the other guy is Satan incarnate. And, you know, they're saying that about each other. And, and, and so all we see is this social media and media-driven uh, type image. And when they get into office, we're like, what, 
what happened and we're so distant and, and can we trust what the news is given? You know, all these things are going, I, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to believe. But Jesus has platforms as well for his kingdom. And we're going to be in Matthew 5. In Matthew 5 to 6 and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. In the next 10 weeks, we're going to be in these three chapters. And um, a little bit of context, you're like, well, Matthew 5, that's not too far into the story, right? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. And, you know, those of you that know the Gospels know that 1 and 2 are, you know, the story of Jesus' birth. So we haven't gotten very deep into the story of Christ, and in Matthew 4 is his temptations and, his, uh, and, 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 and we see the start of his ministry coming out of the temptations. And he shows up and he starts doing miracles. And people start following him because people start following a miracle worker. <laughs> you start seeing miracles occur and you're going to go, I'm going to see what this guy has to say. But not only that, the message that he had was a message of hope. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand or the kingdom of God is near. Basically what he's saying is God is near. A lot of times people use that phrase, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, as a beat stick. But it's a message of hope. Because Jesus was saying, no matter what the religious leaders say to you, no matter what it seems, no matter, no matter that it, it, God hasn't spoken for 400 years through a prophet, God is close. And all it takes to see God and to realize that he is near is repentance. And so all these people are starting to follow him because of this simple message of hope and this, 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 this miracle worker and going, what is going on? And so all these people start following him. And we see in Matthew 5, one day, as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. This is the original stump speech. He saw all the people, and so he went up on the mountain because the acoustics were better if he was up on the mountain and he was teaching people downward. He sat down, maybe on a stump, and started teaching. Started teaching these people that were, that were following because of hope. They were following because of all these miracles. But... They were following just a simple message. Now what he's, he's teaching, he's teaching people that were following, and he's teaching them and going deeper into the message of what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom. What does it look like after the whole repentance part? What does it look like to follow him? What does it look like to be a citizen of his kingdom? And so he gives us different platforms in which he stands on, which his kingdom stands on, in which to be a part of his kingdom means that we have these a part of our life. So let's take a look at what he says. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Most other translations, those of you that have been around, know it as blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And as those guys that, uh, uh, one guy was uh, in uh, youth ministry in uh, Hebrew Springs, Arkansas, and, and those are guys from the Savannah College of Art and Design. So they're like wanting to be actors and wanting to be filmographers and stuff. So um, uh, he, uh, he did that and got some of his buddies uh, to, to get to do that. And we're going to have uh, a video with, with each week in this, in this series. And, 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 and as they were talking about, you know, like, is this what, class warfare here? What's, what's going on? And a lot of people will kind of rip it out of trans or context and kind of say, oh, bl- 
All you have to do to be blessed is be poor. And that's not really what Jesus is saying, although his statement was shocking. And all of these statements were intended for kind of a shock value because they went, went directly against culture of that day. But blessed are the poor in spirit. Or I like how the New Living Translations put it, and realize their need for him. How poor do we realize we are? And I, wait, I, I wouldn't say I'm rich. I'm middle class. You know, I'm that guy that they were talking about. I'm middle class. I'm doing all right. You know, I've, I could be better. I could be worse. You know, I'm doing all right. I mean, what do you mean my need? But do we realize that there's a God-shaped hole in our life? And how much do we realize that day by day by day? Do we really realize our need for God day in and day out? Or do we just go about our days? Because it's easy. It's easy to just go about our days, right? It's just easy. We just get in autopilot. We go to work. We do this. We do that. We come home. We put the grass. We just go about our day. But how much do we realize our daily, minutely need for Jesus and for God? That we have this God-sized hole in our heart. And maybe we've struggled with church and this God thing. And maybe you've come back because you've realized there's something missing. And see, especially in our culture, we get kind of, we get seduced. Because we see people be successful and we see people make money. And we see people uh, create great businesses and have a good life on their own without God. And we're like, how does this all jive? What do, we mean, what do we mean that we realize our need for Him and realize that we need Him and every moment that we need Him when we can be successful on our own? See, that's the exact, that's the deal, is that we can be successful on our own without God and that there's more than just what we see. There's more than what we can gather. There's more than what we can buy. There's more than what we can hoard and keep for ourselves that we realize that there's a God-shaped hole inside of us. A place that we can't touch. And do we realize our need for Him to fill that hole in us? And what's the blessing? There's is the kingdom of heaven. Notice something? Does it seem weird to you? He didn't say, and you'll be a citizen of the kingdom, did he? And you'll just be a part of this kingdom. What did he say? The kingdom will be yours. There's a possessiveness to it, right? That you will own, you will possess the kingdom of God. Does that seem strange to anybody? That he would actually allow people that's messed it up to then possess his kingdom? I mean, shoot, with, with your kids, I bet whatever they broke, you don't give it right back to them, right? You know, you knocked my iPad off in the floor and you shattered it, so here's another one. Right? Here's, here's my fine china that you destroyed last time we used this. Here you go. Whew. Right? 
But God's like, I know you broke this already, but here it is back. Here's the kingdom back. But living in America, we actually do understand this, even though we may just more intrinsically understand this. Because how does it start? We, the people of the United States of America. Do we live in America or do we own America? Yes. Right? Why does 6% approval rating matter? In Kuwait, it doesn't matter, does it? They could care less. Government could care less. Because who owns that country? Not the people. See, when we live in America, and we are citizens of America, either by birth or by test, we not only become a citizen, and not only become a part of America, but we actually own America. Now that leads to our entitlement attitude and some of the issues that we have with that. But that's a blessing, right? That we actually get to possess and own the country that we live in. It's not the presidents. It's not the Congress. It's not the the judicial system. It's the people. And God is a king. But he's not a king in such a way that he said, it's mine and you are simply pawns in my scheme. Do we have a part of his sovereignty? Absolutely. But at the same time, he gives away his kingdom to people who realize their need for him and his kingdom. They realize the hole in their heart. that realize their need for a greater character. See, the reason why politicians have a 6% approval rating is character. We don't trust them. Jesus says, in my kingdom, your character is going to be completely different. And the character that we have that is completely different is first and foremost anchored in God. It's anchored in a relationship with God. Just realize that we need Him to fill this hole. But He builds on that. He says, God blesses those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. I'm like, wait a minute. Does going to church mean like we're supposed to cry all the time? What does this mean? Blessed are those that mourn. See, Jesus is building. He starts here and he starts building on where he starts. So when we realize our need for him, we then mourn because we realize as well that our need for him originated with sin. And that this hole is blockaded by a wall of sin. And we just have sin. And we mourn the fact that we have this hole and that it can't be filled with God because of our own sin. And we mourn over that. And we grieve over that. When was the last time we mourned over our sin? When was the last time that we grieved over our sin? When was the last time we mourned over community sin? When was the last time we watched the news and mourned and grieved 
instead of be indifferent? Oh, well. Or, well, how dare those people? I can't believe them. And feel the urge to scold and yell. And if we just made laws. When was the last time we actually mourned over sin? Because revival occurs when people start mourning, when God's people starts mourning, not only over their sin, but over the sin of their community and over the sin of what's happening around them. Instead of trying to legislate and trying to scold for sin, that we're actually mourning over what we see on the news. But this isn't about just having a, 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 a community of criers. It is about being broken over our position before God. It is about being broken. And, and in Jesus' day and in our day too, that, that, that really the cultural norm was blessed are the strong. Blessed are the stoic. Blessed are the John Waynes that just pull themselves up by the bootstraps and just get on with it. Blessed are those that don't cry. Jesus is like, blessed are those that mourn. Because the, those that mourn realize their need for Him and they realize what is standing in their way between them and a, and a strong relationship with God. But we don't stop. We don't, we, we don't stop at mourners. Church isn't supposed to be a funeral every Sunday. No matter what you grew up with, it's not supposed to be a funeral every Sunday. Why? For they will be comforted. The blessing is the comfort. The blessing is that God, Jesus, gives us a hug. The blessing is that God comforts us. The blessing is that we get refreshment. The blessing is that we get renewal. The the blessing is that He forgives us and comforts us and gives us a new life. And that's joyous. Later on in Jesus' in, in Jesus' ministry, the religious leaders came up to Jesus and was like, "Hey, hey, Jesus, you know, I, we've been noticing, Jesus, your disciples, they don't, they don't fast and mourn and and do the same stuff we do. Why is that? Why do you? Basically, they're saying, here's what they're saying: Why do your disciples party a lot?" We're kind of jealous because we're supposed to fast two to three times a week and, and grieve and, and, and look sad. Why is that? Jesus said, when the bridegroom is in your midst, you celebrate, you party. And Jesus' point is, is that when I'm with you, you celebrate. But if you see that your sin has gotten in the way of the relationship. That's when you mourn. But as soon as that relationship is restored, we celebrate. That's part of the reason why we're changing up our flow into... Actually, that's really a main reason why we're changing up our flow into sermon and then two to three songs on the backside of the sermon is so that we can respond, that we can deal with God and that we would have then time to celebrate the renewal and the refreshment that God is giving. Blessed are those that mourn, for they will be comforted. When was the last time we mourned over sin? When was the last time we mourned over community sin? Or do we need to even pray that God will pierce us in our heart to mourn? 
God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. He keeps building on top of thought upon thought. Blessed are the humble. Now, being humble is about knowing our place, knowing where we stand. It isn't self-deprecation. It is knowing our place, knowing that we uh, fall somewhere below God, that we need God, that our sin stands in the way of, uh, of us and God, and that God alone can forgive, that God can, alone can reconcile us to Him, and that, 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 that we understand that we completely need Him. Uh, that's one part of humbleness. But the other part of humbleness is knowing that I have the image of God and you have the image of God. We all have God's image. It's all the same image. We broke it in different ways, but we all have the same image. See, we broke it through our sin. And that's usually how we want to kind of stand up over somebody else is that my sin is somehow better or less than your sin. So, you know, in our culture today, we see a whole group of people that says, well, my sin is less than yours, so therefore I think that I will hammer you for your sin. No, we, we all have the same image, every one of us. But we all broke it in different ways. See, Taylor broke his image in different ways than I broke mine. And you broke it in different ways than me and Taylor. But we all broke the image of God in us. And humility says, you know what? We were intended to be a certain way. And God intended us to, 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 to have a certain image. And we all broke it. And as God is restoring that in myself, in me, I need you to help restore that fully in me. And you need me to help restore that fully in you. And we're going to walk this together. No matter how you broke your image, and no matter how I broke my image, we're going to walk with each other to see God continually restore that image. That's humility. That's humility. What's the blessing? Humble people inherit the earth. You're like, oh, that sounds awesome. And then you think about it and go, what does that mean? Inherit the earth? What does that mean? Is this like some 70s, 60s hippie thing? Like inherit the, like Woodstock? Like we're going to inherit the earth? I mean, some of them inherited too much of the earth, but that's, that's a separate deal. Um, what does that mean? Can I just tell you? I have no earthly idea what that looks like. But I have a sneaking suspicion it looks something like Revelation 20, 21, and 22. Where God sends down the new heaven and the new earth for his bride to inherit. See, what do prideful people do? Because pride is really the opposite of humble, right? Right? What do prideful people do? They try to inherit the earth on their own. 
If I just get more stuff, if I just get ahead, if I just have status, if I just have fame, if I just have this, if I just have that, if I just accumulate and, and hoard and get and grab and, 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 and go after and chase, then I'll inherit the earth. Right? It's what prideful people do. Not that it, there's any among us. Because you, you wouldn't know that prideful people chase because there's no prideful people among us, right? No amens to that one. At least we're honest. God says, you know what? It's really the humble that will inherit the earth. It's really the meek, right? That's other translations. It's gentle that will inherit the earth. What we give up in chasing after God, God will give back to us when He makes all things complete. And see, in a lot of ways too today, we, we, when we try and lose our life, and when we lose our life, we will gain it. We may not inherit the earth as in possessions, but we'll find out that when we chase after God, we will inherit all that we need on this earth. Humble, meek, gentle. Those that put, place themselves in the right order will inherit the earth. And as he keeps building, he kind of hits an apex here. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, or most other translations say righteousness, and that's the word we'll use, for they will be satisfied. God, God, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, it's one thing to realize your need for Him. A lot of people realize their need for Him. A lot of people pray that prayer. They've been to VBS. They've been to that last night at camp where they cried and snot's flying, and, and, and they're like, oh, I need Jesus, right? And then you're like, where'd they go? It's one thing to realize our need. It's another thing to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Some of you right now are like, man, when are you going to end? I need a donut. I need some coffee. When are you going to end? Why? You're hungering and thirsting. What are you going to do about it? Something. Anything. I want to get... I want, I want food. I want substance. I want water. I want coffee. Hunger and thirsting isn't enough. You're like, I'm hungry. No, no, you're like, I'm hungry, I want cow. Or plant, whatever your side of the fence you're on. But you do something about it, right? If you hunger and thirst, you, you actively do something about it. Are we hungering and thirsting for His righteousness? Are we hungering and thirsting for His behavior? Are we hungering and thirsting for the way of life of the kingdom? Are we actually driven to do something about the hole that's in our heart? We realize we can't really do something about it, but we also realize we can. What? I don't know. But if we just read the Bible, we realize, A, we can't, and B, we can. In one instance, it's all God. In the next instance, it's, it's us driving and seeking after Him. Right? We see this even in just right here. The first beatitude, it's all God. The fourth beatitude, what are you going to do about it? Huh? How, how does that work? 
in a dance, who leads? I mean, I'm Southern Baptist, not that I've ever danced before, but in a dance, who leads? But who dances? I know most of you watch Dancing with the Stars just simply vicariously just wanting to dance with them. Just to be a part. So you don't tell a marketer on Sunday morning? Like, really? (laughs) Nobody knows this number except people that don't really know us. Anyway. Yeah, right. It's the IRS call. No. I did get a Verizon phone yesterday. Maybe, anyway. I feel like Jay Leno now. Um, actually, I uh, told Nicole this past week, I, I feel like I learn more about the news if I watch Jay Leno and Letterman than I do if I watch the news. But anyway. Where was I? Righteousness, yes. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Squirrel. Um, Are we hungering and thirsting? Are we driven to do something about our need for righteousness? Are we driven to do something about the fact that our righteousness doesn't matter in the kingdom? That our own righteousness doesn't matter in God's kingdom? It's not up to par in God's kingdom. That it is His righteousness that we need in order to be on good behavior in His kingdom. Is that what we're hungering and thirsting after? Because that is what will satisfy This is what Jesus meant by, I am the living water. This is what Jesus meant by, I am the bread of life. That's what he meant. That are you hungering and thirsting for a bread and a water that is beyond bread and water that we can put in us. So stop itching for that donut right now and itch for his righteousness. Like how they did that? That's nice, right Gideon? That's good. Spiritualizing donuts. Only Krispy Kreme or St. George's. But it's not enough to have our character anchored in God. It's not enough. Because we have this whole audience of one mentality, which, by the way, is bogus and not a part of the Bible. We have an audience of somewhere around seven or six billion. Best estimates is about a billion Christians. There's seven billion people on the face of this earth. You know, math says there's about six billion left. So we have an audience of about 6 billion people. See, this whole audience of one thing has contributed to this whole jerks for Jesus thing. That all I have to worry about is me and God, and I can be a jerk to everybody else. The only thing wrong with that is the Bible. The only thing wrong with that is Jesus. The only thing wrong with that is the thread of God's Word that says... Differently. And so our character in the kingdom isn't, is anchored in God, but it benefits others. It's anchored in God, but it benefits others. If our character is not benefiting other, others, it is not anchored in God. Can't be. Jesus said it differently somewhere else. Well, that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And see, I think that 
goes together in such a way that it's both hands. You can't, you're not really loving God if you're not loving people. So Jesus goes into the second part of the Beatitudes. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And notice how they, these two parallel. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. See, when we come to God, when we realize our need for God, and we come to Him, what does He give us? He gives us grace, which is the giving out of His abundance to where we are in need, but He also shows us mercy. And a lot of times mercy and grace are confused. Mercy is the, the compassion, is looking at us in our situation and having pity on us. Grace says, oh yeah, buddy, you sinned, but I'm going to forgive you. Mercy says, you sinned because the father of lies lied to you, and I'm sorry that you're in that spot, and I'm going to get you out of there. Mercy is have, feeling sorry but feeling sorry with action that you're actually trying to get somebody out of the situation. So did you know that most sexual sins, a lot of sexual sins at the root is abuse? If you dig far enough back, there's abuse. And if it's not abuse, it probably has to do with parental love issues. Wardrobe issues? Probably daddy issues. Probably daddy issues. Mercy says, I see what you're doing. I see the choices you're making. But I also see how you came to that. And I'm going to walk with you to help you through this. To let you see what this sin is doing to your life and help you repair this. Help you realize the God-shaped hole that's in your life and why you're doing this. The reason why you're doing this is to try to fill that hole and that's, this is never going to work. Do you know that achievement issues usually stems back to parents as well? I was never good enough at my home. Maybe I can make my daddy or mama proud by climbing the ladder. What's the biggest common denominator between inmates? No fathers, right? Ninety some odd percent. Are they making choices? Absolutely. Are those choices rooted in something? Absolutely. And mercy says, I see beyond the choices that you're making. I see beyond the sin that you're doing. And I choose to walk with you through this. Because isn't that what God did? He saw a situation that was being lied to by the father of lies. And he came down to destroy the father of lies. He came down to, to have mercy on us and serve us, uh, us by going to the cross and forgiving our sins and giving us new life. Isn't that what he did? 
Those who have been shown mercy will show mercy. And, and the deal is, is that the whole blessing, for they will be shown, for uh, God bless those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy, isn't working for our salvation. Remember, the, 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 the baseline is that these are disciples. These are people that have repented, or at least some form of that, and they're trying to figure out what this life is looking like. So they have been shown mercy. And so those who that are shown mercy have mercy. And when we show mercy, we see more mercy. And when we see more mercy, we show more mercy. It's a snowball effect. It just keeps going. And I know some of us are gifted with more mercy gifts than others. Phil is gifted with more mercy gifts than I am, which is good for you. But at the same time, through my prophetic and apostle giftings, that, that I hope you find the God of mercy as well. While there is a clear message about sin, there's also an equally clear message about mercy. That you find the God of mercy that came down and walked with every one of us. And that we are a people of mercy, that we will walk with anybody in any situation. No matter what's going on. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Purity goes beyond true love weights. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Purity goes way beyond true love weights. Actually, in, in this context, Jesus is, is tying uh, our outward benefiting to others to how we're anchored in God. And so here, we're, we, we're, benefit, we're, 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 we're acting in purity towards others. So let's roll with the true love weights thing. When we're seeking sex, we're acting in impurity towards others. When we're embezzling, we're acting in impurity towards others. When we're stealing, when we're, when we're lying, we're acting in impurity towards others. We are, we, are, we are handing out injustices towards other people when we sin. But when we are citizens of God's kingdom, when our character is anchored in God, we'll be acting in purity towards others. And this runs parallel to blessed are those who mourn. Why do we mourn? Because we realize we're impure. And what does God do? Give us His purity. And when He gives us His purity, we walk in purity. And when we walk in purity, we will see God. We will see more of God. And when we see more of God, we will want more purity because we'll see His holiness and His greatness and His light and His beauty. And when we see all of that, we'll walk in more purity. When we walk in more purity, we'll see more of God. When we see more of God, we'll walk in more purity. And it keeps snowballing. And it keeps going. And we walk in purity for those who do not walk in purity to see what purity looks like so that they will want purity and so that they will mourn and find His comforting. I talk to people who say, I worked for a Christian businessman and he cheated me out of stuff. And they want nothing to do with God. Talked with a guy this week. I don't know if I, I like the whole Christianity thing. Most wars start with religion. I don't know if I want anything to do with God. I dated this girl, and her dad was a pastor. And all he, he was a millionaire. All he wanted was money. It had looked like it had nothing to do with God. 
Right? That would have been bad. Right? Yeah. Blessed are the pure, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure, because they will show God to others as well. That's the whole point. Jesus keeps going. Blessed are those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. And this has been used kind of in a governmental sense. Jesus isn't using it in a governmental sense. Jesus is using it in a discipleship sense. In a, in, in, in a sense that how we're interacting with others because we are anchored in God. So when we are seeking peace, we are walking into people's chaos. We are walking into people's sin-ridden lives in order to bring them peace. From the Prince of Peace. This has nothing to do whether you buy a gun or not. That's fully in your conscience. Get in. That's fully in your conscience. It's okay. It's nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with us walking into people's lives that have been riddled with sin, either their own or because somebody else has, has pelted them with sin and bring peace to the chaos. And bring peace to the chaos. Are we peacemakers? Because we'll be chips off the old block if we are. We'll be called sons of God. Or daughters of God. We'll be chips off the old block. If we're bringing peace. Because that's what God did, right? He came down to bring us peace. To bring us reconciliation with Him. And we bring peace to others. Not just for peace's sake but in order to reconcile them with God, in order for them to see the peace that God brought them. And so your co-workers and your neighborhood and the people that, 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 that have peace, and we know this, we live in the Bible Belt, we're in suburbia in the Bible Belt, so everybody has peace, right? On the outside. A bunch of fakers, right? So we're going to have to get through some Shrek said some onion layers to get through it, right? And to find where the chaos really is to bring peace. But when we do, we will be truly sons and daughters of the king because that's what the king did. And there's one more aspect of our character. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it! Be very glad! For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. What are you smoking, Jesus? Like, as countercultural as all the rest of them were, like... I'm sure people were sitting there, especially religious leaders, that were like, hey, you know, we're top of society, we're doing good, and everybody likes us, and nah, 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 nah. Like, blessed are the persecuted. What? Why? And in America, we have this weird infatuation with persecution, because we aren't. So therefore, we kind of wish we are, so therefore we kind of make persecution up. And usually if you dig far enough back, we'll find out that those that are being persecuted or self-proclaimed persecution are dumb and just don't want to follow common sense laws. 
guy in Phoenix who started out with a small group in his home, ended up building a building in his backyard. And when, 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 when the, 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 the government came and said, well, this is technically a, a, a gathering place, so you need to abide by you know, what we set up as commercial laws to protect people in gathering places. He cried persecution. Like, no, you're just a lawbreaker. They're not mocking you. They're just protecting the 40 people that you didn't build this building the code for. Persecution is for righteousness' sake. When we are actually walking in righteousness. And this parallels hunger and thirst for righteousness. When we are persecuted and we rejoice, we're actually showing that our hunger and thirst is really for righteousness. But when... Like, usually what happens in America, we get on Facebook and complain. Somebody said something about me because I'm a Christian. Wah, 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 wah. That's not rejoicing, that's complaining. And you're actually showing that your hunger and thirst is for approval and satisfaction with people. And that's something we all struggle with. Something I struggle with. That's the main reason why I don't share the gospel usually. is like, ah, oh, what are they going to think of me? But we're like the first century Christians when, when they said, stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Stop talking about this thing. This guy, Jesus, stop it. And they're like, I, look, you know, if you've got to say that because you feel that way with God, then that's fine. But we've seen too much. We saw the guy resurrect, all right? We can't stop talking about this. And when they beat the Christians up for that, what they do? Yeah, buddy, yeah, all right, woo-hoo-hoo! We were persecuted. All right, that's awesome. It's back there in the Greek somewhere. But read Acts. It's there. It's there. They were truly excited in their righteousness. Their hunger and thirst was for righteousness. And that they realized that they were being persecuted because they were living up to the standard of righteousness that Jesus talked about. God wants... To give us a greater character. By our life being anchored in Him. And that anchoring benefiting other people. Look, this is a tinkering. Jesus is dealing with idealism, right? We're never going to make it. Never going to make it on this earth here. But which direction are we striving in? Which direction are we pushing forward in? Are we striving towards what Jesus is talking about here? Are we anchoring ourselves in Him? Are we hungering and thirsting for His righteousness? And is our lives benefiting others? As the band plays and we worship, remember we're going we're gonna to do three songs. We got time. It's all right. It's only 10 after 10. We got time. Right. So take a deep breath and enjoy the refreshment and comforting that comes from mourning that comes from bowing before him and saying all I want is you I've blown it here and there and all I want is you I want your righteousness I want your perfection I want your purity I want your mercy all I want is you and as we sing do business with God I want to be up here Shelley's going to be back there find one of us 
And you'll find a merciful people. Nothing is going to shock us. Nothing is going to make us run away. Nothing is going to make us say, you've blown it too much. This is a safe place to talk about what's going on. Either because of what people have done to you or what you've done to yourself. It's a neat, safe place to talk about that. So that you can find the comfort of God. But as the band plays and we worship, let God give you a hug and comfort you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the greater character that you want to give us. I just pray, Lord, that you will continue to move in, in everybody's life. And I just pray, Lord, that, that whatever needs to happen today, that we do it. And that we will see you work and that people will hunger and thirst for righteousness in ways that, that they've never had, or excuse me, that they never have before. And that you will comfort them through this time. That they will find your joy through this time. And that our lives will benefit others as we walk out of here because we've anchored ourselves in you. It's your name that we pray. Amen.